All right, everybody, welcome into the MCT. You got MNC of that podcast here alongside the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the host, creator, executive producer, all the title script of the Crash Course podcast. And that is Craig Collins, Craig Crash Collins himself down there. We also have, as you can see on your screen, two additional people. We have two guests in this podcast because uh we couldn't really do a baseball podcast without bringing on some extra baseball minds that are going to help enlighten us in everything and we're doing this because uh spring training's right around the corner and we just as as the as big baseball fans we needed any excuse really to talk baseball uh as michael and i alluded to last week we didn't get to talk any mlb baseball in our mct podcast this week so we felt sad so we threw a whole special together and uh, so the first thing i want to do is introduce those two guests so uh one of you guys, go ahead and take it away. Um, my name is Bryce Williams. I'm one of Michael's high school friends. We gra- we uh, graduated in the same class of 2014. Uh, yeah, that's really it about me. Besides, I'm just a big baseball fan, I guess. <laughs> Love it. Got him old. Cool. <laughs> I'm Matt Michael. Uh, Matt Chris there down at Ball State. So um, been removed there for a couple of years now, but also big baseball fan. It looks like. Got a couple Cubs guys on here. I'm a White Sox guy, so we'll have some good discussions here tonight. I'm a big Pirates guy, so I'm kind of okay. conflicting with some of you guys in the in the uh, NL Central there. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. I love it. That's, that's I wanted variety here. It wouldn't be any fun, as much as it might be fun. It wouldn't be fun if Craig and I got three more Cubs buddies and we all just kind of loved on the Cubs all day. So and just great. commiserated in the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been so much fun. I've loved I've loved everything. So we're we'll get on to all that every second. So the first thing we're gonna do is I mean, real easy guys. I'm I'm lobbing you all a softball. We're just gonna talk our favorite baseball moments. Why that that one thing that kind of makes you fall in love with the sport and that moment that you've held on to that stands out to you that you know when when you think baseball, you snap those fingers, what comes up? And uh we're gonna again throw it to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Craig. Go ahead and lead us off, bud. Yeah, so as a Cubs fan, obviously there's a lot of ways you could go with this, you know, as far as the favorite moment that you could go with, whether it be, you know, obviously the World Series win. Uh, you could go with, you know, the, the wild card game where Jake Arrieta was just absolutely insane. There's a lot of moments you can go off of here recently for the Cubs, but for me, I thought I'd just go, I'd go a little different. Um, so my first trip to Wrigley Field was in 2015. Cubs were playing the Pi- uh, the Padres that day. Um, and they had a six to two lead. It was a great game. Kyle Hendricks was on the on the bump. I was so thrilled, so excited because I was like, "Oh, the Cubs are going to win my first trip to Wrigley Field. This is going to be awesome." They led six to two heading into the ninth, uh, and then in comes Phil Coke, and that lead slowly starts going away. Um, they bring in Hector Rondon for the save. He blows the save, and so it went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I was so bummed, so depressed. It goes into extra innings. Uh, Starlin Castro uh, with the bases loaded against future Cubs closer Craig Kimbrell ends up getting the game-winning uh, single uh, to win it for the Cubs. So it was just a roller coaster of emotions. First trip to Wrigley, first trip to Chicago. Thought the Cubs were going to win easily. Then obviously should have remembered that I'm a Cubs fan. Nothing can be easy. Um, and then uh, the Cubs ended up winning in the end. So I've been to, I've been to Wrigley a few times, but that's one that uh, that sticks out in my mind as a favorite baseball memory. So. So you're telling me your first trip to Wrigley, you saw a walk-off win? That's incredible. Yes. That's awesome. I've never seen a walk-off. I've never seen a walk-off win in any sport or like a buzzer beater, like nothing like that. I, I really want to be there for one of those those moments one of these days. Um, so my favorite baseball moment is pro- memory. It's probably my 
earliest memory of actually getting, being there and, and, and understanding what was happening and watching the sport play out. And that was way back in the 2001 World Series. I was in Phoenix, Arizona, watching the four-year-old expansion Arizona Diamondbacks not only make the trip to their first and subsequently only World Series to this point, but not only that, they faced the juggernaut of the New York Yankees who are coming off of not one, two, but three straight World Series wins, going for number four. And, you know, it was a back and forth series. A fun fact of that series, the home team won every game in that series, and that ended up going seven. Um, you have the crazy three games there in the middle in New York with uh, two, not one, but two come from behind down two or, or yeah, down two runs. The Yankees were in uh, to come back and hit runs. And, and, you know, Alfonso Soriano was a rookie, hit a big home run in one of those games, I believe game five. And it's just crazy. Poor young, young Kim blows back-to-back saves and back dikes. But my favorite memory is obviously game seven. I got to stay up late past my bedtime. I'm like nine years old and watching, watching the greatest closer to ever step on a mound, come out there with a one run lead in the ninth in Arizona. It's in the Bob it's in bank one ballpark. And I just remember my heart sinking as that inning even started. Cause I'm like, man, even at nine years old, I recognized greatness. And I was like, there's no way they're going to score. Like I really had no faith that they could score off Rivera and they end up getting not one, but two runs and a walk off little bloop single by uh, Luis Gonzalez. I'll never, ever forget it. And just chills. Every time I think of that moment, it's absolutely legendary. See for me, I'm going to have to go with a couple of different ones just because they're both just by players who aren't really even in the league anymore. Um, first, you know, first was the Homer Bailey, no hitter against the giants in 2012, because if you guys have followed baseball here recently, Homer Bailey has allowed none of those ever again. And <laughs> oh, his, his name's Homer for a reason. There, that I man just gives up the long ball. <laughs> he is notoriously bad but for that one night where he was literally one base runner away from a perfect game. Hmm. He, it was truly spectacular watching that game and just look, and just, we were just waiting for Homer to blow it, which is really bad for me to say, but that's what was his reputation. And then the other one's going to have to be the scooter Jeanette four home run, 10 RBI game because a, he's a Cincinnati kid. And at first when he joined the team, he was wearing Brandon Phillips, number four, which that was the first season where he wasn't with the reds anymore. And it was kind of sacrilegious. And to watch that man go out and make baseball history in the camo uniforms was awesome. But for me, the most important thing about that moment is my daughter was born a few weeks before. And being able to kind of sit on the couch, she was asleep on my chest and trying everything I can not to freak out at every home run. Just because I was literally watching history, but I could not share the same emotions just because I had a sleeping newborn on my chest. But it was awesome. Also, fun fact, she's now a huge Reds fan. So, raising him right. There you go. Awesome. No, yeah, you know, for me, um, obviously, a lot of White Sox memories. Uh, The last 12 years haven't been super fun. But um, a lot to pick from, obviously, Burley's perfect game. Uh, The 2008 blackout game, which is kind of the first game that that really kick-started those one-game playoffs. That was a one nothing game. Jim Tomei had a home run that game. Uh, Paul Canerico's grand slam and in the uh, 05 World Series in game two, uh, that's usually a big fan favorite. But later in that game is actually probably my favorite. This guy who has no home runs all season 
I think he hit one other home run before that in the postseason. But Scott Putsednik hit a walk-off to win game two, um, go up two games to nothing. I mean, I mean, basically a chokehold already on the World Series, two games, and that was that was insane. That was insanity. I mean, Chicago was was uh, pretty lit that night. So that that has to be number one for me. Um, so mine is not so much of a specific memory, but I actually had the privilege to develop a friendship with a former major league player, Trayvon Robinson. He was a outfielder with the Seattle Mariners in the years 2011 and 2012. And, uh, as I said earlier, I'm a big pirates fan. So I go to a bunch of Indian Indians games, which is the triple A for, for the uh, pirates. And I, and I also like beating players and doing things like that. And the Indians have a bunch of meet and greets. So I walked up to, you know, Trayvon one night and he, and he just started talking to me and was real friendly, real nice. And since I go to so many games a year, uh, eventually I just got to like know him at, to uh, know him as a person. I followed him on his social medias and he followed me back and we started talking and DMs and he left me a couple of tickets for some games. And then one night he uh, asked me out of the blue, hey, man, you want to go grab some food? And I was like, sure, where you want to go? And, I got in his truck with him, and we went to this place called Coach's Tavern down in Indy. I'm not sure if you guys have ever ate there, but it's a really nice place. Nice. But I would say that's probably definitely my favorite one is just – see, because he was a uh, top prospect coming up. I think he was like the number third Dodgers prospect in the year 2008, I believe, before he got traded to Seattle. So I guess just getting to, to know somebody on that kind of a stage, it just – I don't know. It's kind of surreal for me still to, still to this day, so – yeah, I mean that's incredible. I'm I, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but that's something I certainly can't attest to that I, I don't have anything like close to that on any kind of level. But uh all right guys, thanks for sharing your favorite memories and now we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna flip the script and we're gonna talk about our least favorite moments in baseball. Just those those heartbreaking, those those ones that really kind of make you kind of question like why why do I love this sport so much when it when it does almost nothing but hurt me? And we're gonna kind of just snake backwards here in order. So Bryce, I know you just talked. Take a deep breath and uh go ahead and I'm gonna have you kick us off for the least favorite moments. Well, that one would be the year twenty 18, which uh, I had a really good fantasy baseball team that year. I had Kershaw, Nola from the Phillies, and then Aaron Judge. And <clears> even <throat> D, uh, D Gordon played somewhat good for me that year. And I went like 25 and one or something like that, leading it, leading in, uh, into the uh, championship game. And even Michael can attest to this. I like those fantasy deep leagues to where you have like 20 teams. In, in the league, Grab so you won. So you draft. <laughs> so you really have to know what what you're doing in terms of drafting. And like I say, for me to only lose one game that year was so good. Which you know, my second loss was the uh, championship game. Mm. So that was such a heartbreaker to go like twenty some and one, and then get to the fancy baseball championship and just lose it. Like my team just bombed out. Chris, that uh, hitting home for you with your football championship this past year? Yeah, we didn't have to. I have to connect those dots. I, I already did it up in here, and it's all good. Well, I can I can commiserate with you, Bryce, because I've been yeah. to the championship of my league four times and still haven't won. So I'm the Buffalo Bills. I uh, he's, of, he's uh, the Buffalo my Bills fantasy baseball. Perfect. Oh man, that's great. Um, now my 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 least favorite, um, not a specific game. Um, but it has to be the Chris Sale trade for me. 
Um, those those rough years from basically it seems like my whole adult life uh, being a Sox fan. Um, I mean, Chris Sale was kind of the 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 guy, um, perennial All Star. I mean, it was the right move, obviously. I mean, you know, we were getting back, you know, Kopech and, and Yoan. Obviously, it's uh, done wonders here for the team. But having a guy like Chris Sale, like that staple on your team, I mean, that was that was a tough pill to swallow. I mean, um, he, he was legit. But then even seeing him going to win the World Series was kind of bittersweet. I, I don't like the Red Sox. So, um, but uh, obviously with him, you know, closing out that, getting the final out of that game was, was pretty awesome. So, uh, that would definitely have to be my, my least favorite moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can really say the same in terms of being a Pirates fan because it seems like we're always selling mm. players. So, <laughs> yeah. Just watched, uh, I, think, I think we all can feel that, especially after this past year. Like, all of us lost our starting – oh, every single one of our teams lost their, like, ace pitchers, I think, this past year. And the White Sox, what, trade away Dane Dunning? So, mm-hmm. like – Yeah. Hey, but pitchers, they, I mean, but- man. But they added Liam Hendricks and a couple other guys. Yep. We'll get into that later for sure. Lin- yep. Yeah, and uh, Lance Lynn wasn't a bad get back for them either. Uh, right, Dunning. That that was kind of the hope is obviously, you know, Dunning is is you know he had a good showing here the last few games he pitched, but obviously Lance Lynn's a more um, known commodity. So I mean that that's the hope. So, Michael, what you got? Oh, was it me? I thought it was. Oh, it is me. Um. So you wrote this thing. This coffee has not kicked in yet. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Coke with coffee. Um, please sponsor us. Um, oh, honestly, oh. in hindsight, it's going to have to be two moments in particular. That's Ken Griffey Jr.'s last home run as a red, mm. because that is still my favorite baseball player of all time. And watching that and then knowing that he was probably going to be on the move and it just it hurt inside, but it was a really British sweet moment. And then uh, Bronson Arroyo, um, when he, I didn't because mm-hmm. when he re-signed with the Reds, I did not think that he was going to start, and if he was, just be for a few games. And he played in the healthy like forty something odd games that year. Didn't play well, but it was still awesome to see you know him come back and have a few games. It was just kind of awesome. But yeah, as soon as they, then he made it very clear it was his last run. Just kind of wanted to be in Cincinnati, and it was a bittersweet because they just played all of his career moments all throughout the season just to make me sad and pull my heartstrings. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's got to be up there as two of my least favorite moments in baseball. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, my runner up has to be uh, as a Cubs fan, Craig's going to know both of these moments are real well. Uh, my runner up had to be, I was kind of waffling, the 08 season just as a whole. It was a really disappointing season for the Cubs because they uh, it was the kind of the season they looked, you know, like a dominant team. They they had all the pieces that you thought could make a deep run. They won the Central. They won 96 games or so, 97 games maybe, I believe. And uh, and then, you know, they, the postseason gets started. It's a best-of-five series, and they get swept out the door by the Dodgers. L- 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 just one, two, three, done. And I just remember kind of being in shock, really, when game three ended. I'm like, what? this is actually all over like no they're, they're so much better than this this isn't right you know and uh so that was really tough but the number one moment has to be the 2018 national league wildcard game now i'll preface this by saying i didn't really expect the cubs to win it all that year they still they struggled a lot their offense i mean just like ever since 2016 their offense is so hit or miss uh it's kind of ridiculous but that game i mean really 
going into that game, I felt pretty confident that they could handle the Rockies in Wrigley Field. Like, you know, and but it ended up being a two to one Rockies win in 13 innings. And, uh, you know, my boy Javi Baez had the only offense. He had an RBI double that scored pinch runner Terrence Gore in the bottom of the eighth. And I was like, I I was at Craig's house watching the game. We were both like hyped. We're tied at one. Like we got life in this game. Like, let's go. And then freaking Tony freaking Walters in the 13th inning hits an RBI single to score Trevor, Trevor, Trevor's story. (laughs) And what turned out to be the winning run. But uh, Craig, Hey, just remember at least Trevor story only hit a single. So, you know, it's a line possibly uh, lose off that. It's a line that, that Chris and I usually still say to this day of like, well, Hey, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, Trevor story only hit a single because that's all they could talk about. On the that's all a rod like, said you know at least off. trevor story didn't hit a home run i mean that's the main yep. thing literally oh. trevor story hits a leadoff single in that in the bottom or the top of the 13th and alex rodriguez is like well it's only a single so it's pretty pretty much still a win for the cubs like, no it's still a base runner right. and sure enough he turned out to be the game winning run so yeah that one that one really broke my heart just because i thought it was a game they sh- they could have and should have won pretty handily yeah, I'm going to go with mine. I'm going to go a little bit off script. I have mine listed as the Cubs being swept by the Mets in 2015, which that did stink. But um, yeah. I'm kind of going to go on the same lines as uh, Matt went with uh, some, something that happened. I mean, I guess the Chris Sale ha- trade happened during the season, but like a like moves and stuff um, mm-hmm. and uh, and all that kind of thing, transactions. I'm going to go with that because, you know, because I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, um, 2015 when the Cubs got swept by the Mets, there was still a lot of hope there. And you have 20, you know, 2016 was awesome. 2017, that Washington National Series was so great that it made the losing to the Dodgers, who we didn't really have a chance against anyway, kind of a, a little bit better. And then 2018, we've already discussed that. So um, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with just this past offseason for the Cubs <laughs> has been yep. my least favorite moment, you know, for this, you know, run that the Cubs have been on just kind of finally being what i mean i don't want to say over because it's not technically over but as far as like you know the getting rid of you darvish after he finally figures it out you know they've um you know been talking about possibly you know all the rumors with chris bryant swirling around the fact that they didn't bring back john lester they got rid of you know uh kyle schwarber we're going to talk about all that a little bit later but just this off season of oh hey you know what you know we were awesome you know a couple years ago and you know our core is still pretty strong we're gonna go ahead and just get rid of everybody that ever played well for us these past few years and uh we're gonna bring in some new guys who can still i think carry the weight but it just this past offseason for the cubs has not been a great one so i'll have that down as my least favorite moment at least here recently and you know what, Craig, that's actually perfect to lead us right into keep the line rolling right into our next segment. We're going to talk about this this past offseason and just some moves um, that kind of shocked us that we think will have big impacts over the course of this upcoming season, this 2021 season that uh, is sure to have a whole bunch of storylines and things happen just like every year. We're, uh, we're getting excited for it. It's just about that time. And I'm actually going to kick this one off. Um, yeah, that's right. I said it. Our, my special, my rules. Here we go. Uh, this offseason move, so it's not going to be a Cubs-related move. I am. I was really pleasantly surprised to see the Atlanta Braves, who are 
so good. They were everybody seems to already forget that they were a game away from the World Series. They had a three to one lead over that dominant Dodgers team, and they arguably should have won that series. But baseball happens, and they lost three straight. But man, they they really didn't hang their heads on that one. They're they're going to learn from that. They're going to hold on to that. And they went out and got a really good pitcher who I think is kind of being overlooked in this offseason. Uh, they went out and signed to a, just a one year, fifteen million dollar deal, Charlie Morton, to shore up that rotation alongside Max Fried and Mike Soroka. So, I mean, that's a one, two, three punch that is going to go good against kind of anybody. And that really was the Braves. I think downfall was their pitching kind of let them down. Uh, No one's going to say their offense can't get it done because they've got batter. They've got bats all over the place. So, I mean, you know, and if you look at what Charlie Morton has done last year, he only started nine games. We only played 60. So that's fine. He went two and two with a 4.74 ERA. Not great, but nobody really had a good year last year, I think, outside of, you know, Trevor Bauer and, and you Darvish. Uh, if you look at his 2019 season, he went 16 and six with a career low 3.05 ERA. He was an all-star and he finished third in the Cy Young voting that year. So, I mean, he's a veteran leader for this Braves team. He obviously knows how to pitch in a, at an elite level. And just like I said, pairing him with Soroka and Freed really kind of adds another dimension to that starting rotation. And that's what Atlanta needs to potentially try to take uh, what's going to be a very, very tough uh, National League this year. And keep in mind, too, there that the Braves still have those couple of those uh, higher end prospects in the rotation that they've been rotating in and out. So that is a huge one. Um, But for me, I'm going to have to talk about that Nolan Arenado trade Mm. and not just the fact that he is in the majority of our division now. I just want to talk about how the Rockies kind of got the shaft on that one, if I may. Um, They got, and stop me if you heard of any of these guys, left-handed pitcher, Austin Gomber. Yes. Mateo Gill. Oh, okay. I'm just going to stop him. Uh, (laughs) No, no, no. I was going to say, I was going to say, I I know Gomber just from, he's played a few times in relief uh, against the, the, you know, he's been, he's come up in a few games for the Cardinals. And I probably wouldn't know him as much if he wasn't an ML, like I haven't had him a few times or seen this card, you know, know, in MLB the show a few times too. So that's the reason why I know as well. That's literally what I was thinking. I was wondering, (laughs) I was like, it's got to be the show, right? Because I don't know him at all. That's hilarious. But uh, Alaris Montero, I feel like I just butchered that man's name. Um, I, uh, I uh, Tony Lacey and Jake Summers, and they only got like that's it. No Dylan Carlson, <laughs> and they walked away with Arenado and fifty-one million dollars in cold hard cash. Like, how are they not giving up well, a not, top five? Not prospect? even just Carlson, but they also. I mean, where does Matt Carpenter play now? So why couldn't they have at least gotten Carpenter back as like a okay-ish guy who's good? Yeah, just as a piece who's going to yeah. put up decent numbers with an improved, you know, with being into a, a, an improved hitting environment like, you know, Coors yeah. Field. An MLB-level yeah. piece. That's that's what we saw in all of these offseason trades. We didn't see a lot of MLB-level pieces move. It was all prospects, 17-, 18-year-old kids. Because even, the, the, even in the U Darvish trade, at least the uh-huh. Cubs got back Zach Davies. Like, you would have thought. <laughs> like, but, I mean, at least it's something hey. to replace what was gone. You know what I mean? So, like, that's what I'm saying with, like, Matt Carpenter. Sure. It seems to me the Cardinals are the only one who cares about winning the Central this year. I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I think on, I think a lot of the moves that like the Cubs and Reds made in the are, are to well for one shed payroll obviously, but also I think a lot of teams were banking on expanded playoffs, and that's why they didn't yeah. get more. They were thinking, okay, there's yeah. going to be you know 80 teams in the postseason this year, so we don't need mm-hmm. to worry. 
things in payroll this year. Sorry, Mike, Greg. Well, we kind of we steamrolled you Oh, there. you're good. You're good. Um, really quick, uh, the only thing that really just kind of made sense why they didn't get more is that Arenado only batted 253 in Coors Field with only eight home runs. It's really It feels really weird to say that, but it's Coors Field. Yeah. However, he was a gold glove winner. So the Cardinals have locked down corners of the infield. And it's just – I'm just still confused as to why they didn't get a whole lot back. But to Craig's point, yeah, we saw a lot of prospects get moved around, and I, I felt like there should have been some more like higher end prospects. I think the only higher end prospect that was of note was Dane Dunning being on the move. Mm-hmm. But you got a Cy Young contender in Lance Lynn, so like you got something relatively good back. <laughs> it's still just ugh, rough. Yeah. I'm I'm going along those lines um, as far as you know. We mentioned it a second ago the U Darvish trade to the Padres. I think it I think it solidified that the Padres were in go for it mode. I know the Padres have made a lot of moves. They got Joe Musgrove. They got Blake Snell. Um, but I think the move for U Darvish kind of told everyone like, hey, the Padres are going to make you know are trying are going to try to do something this season and build off of a great uh, 2020 campaign. They get U Darvish who in 2020. Uh, was eight and three with a two hundred one ERA. Uh, struck out ninety three. Probably should have been the Cy Young winner, but oh, gay. I guess there's Trevor Bauer. Um, but uh, <laughs> no. Um, but the, uh, the Padres traded Zach Davies, um, who did play well in uh, in twenty twenty. Uh, seven and four with a two seven three ERA, sixty three strikeouts. Um, and really, no one the Cubs got back in return as far as prospects are you know break MLB's top one hundred prospects, and the Padres currently have four. So, um, you know with yeah. With what the Cubs got back, um, the only one that's ranked in the top 10 of their organization right now is uh, Reginald uh, Tricadio, uh, their shortstop. So uh, that's really the only guy that the Cubs kind of got back prospect-wise when the Padres are just stacked in their uh, in their farm system right now. So that was pretty shocking to me. But, um, you know, I think that's that, that move showed the rest of Major League Baseball that, hey, the Padres are, are in go-for-it mode. And I think – it's a little bit more, it's got a little bit more uh, legs to it than, it, than a couple of years ago when they got like James Shields and Crick Kimbrell and all that stuff. I think this time it's, yeah. it's going to be, these are great moves for them to try to contend in the NL West. Yeah. And really quick, just to piggyback off that, I think that move, as you said, solidified them not only in go for mode, but I think for me personally, as a not Padres fan, that's just watching them from the outside in, like, I think that move took them from like, okay, they're a solid wildcard team that I wouldn't really want to see to now like, oh man, they're going to compete for the NL West with those Dodgers. Like they're going to be neck and neck with those Dodgers competing for that division title. They have to, they have to, like with, with what they threw in, they have to. And I was going to go off of kind of what you said there, Craig, but like, I mean, just the Padres in general. I mean, like, you know, I know you mentioned Dar- Darvish, but I mean, Musgrove and Snell, I mean, Musgrove is so underrated. I mean, he has yeah. been for the last two three years. Um, so to not go off of what you did, really the one thing I did not see Bauer going to LA. I didn't, um, that one, I think the only reason LA did that was because I, I believe that was after some of these moves, like yeah. at least after Snell and, and, and Musgrove. And I mean, I think they know like the, the Padres are right on their heels. I, yeah. I think even without Bauer, I still think the Dodgers are the better team. Turner coming back the other day, that was massive. That's huge. That was massive. Like, I, I mean, 
I didn't really realistically think he'd leave, but I mean, now that he's locked up and staying there. So, I mean, the NL West in general, just the moves that they made, it was, um, and that division is going to be hell of fun. I mean, it's going to be so fun, man. Like, just the those other, two, it's going to be a hell of a race. It's so funny. Is, that division's that division, you have arguably the two best teams in the yeah. NL and, and then three bottom feeders. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, they're awful <laughs> behind them, but it's just it's still going to be so Those two is going to be so much fun, 100%. Just really quick, I, I kind of agree there, Matt. Obviously, I didn't see Trevor Bauer going to L.A. because I he wasn't going in a particular city. I could back. dream, okay? Just because <laughs> you lost way. your Cy Young contender doesn't mean I have to lose my Cy Young winner. The rightful yes, Cy Young winner from last year. But you did. Oh, whoa, whoa. You're <laughs> Mickey, did you say Mickey Mouse Cy Young winner? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. Shots so fired. Darvish I can hear those down the street. Let's Mouse. go. <laughs> but the only thing that kind of surprised me is how many teams are going to be willing to offer Trevor Bauer that contract at the way it was structured. Yeah. Because the way it's structured is basically three one-year deals, which means he doesn't lose his bet. <laughs> just, just really quick for two seconds. Have you guys heard about that? I did. Yes. I only, I only I heard about it because you, 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 you told us last night, but that's only that's true. But Matt and Bryce, have you guys heard about that bet I, and why the deal was structured that way? A little bit. You can expand on a little bit here for me, but I have, I have heard a little bit of it. Um, from what about it. so <laughs> Trevor Bauer has a bet set up with one of his friends saying that he would never ever sign a long-term contract. It would only be one year deals once he's eligible to sign in free agency. If he signs a long-term contract, he then has to get shot in the uh, family jewels with a paintball gun mm. at 10 feet away. Mm. So he signed basically three one-year deals that he can opt out of at any time. And I just found that absolutely hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, it is. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, are we on to me now? Yes. yes. It's you, sir. Right. Yeah, let's so, go. All right. So this one's kind of a rarity for me. A Yankees and Red Sox trade. Adam Ottavino, which has been a strong Yankees reliever for, well – he had kind of a down season last year. He posted like a 5.90 ERA. And, but the year before he posted a 1.90 ERA, mm. uh, the uh, Yankees traded him in a minor league pitcher. I think his name was Frank Herman. He's a, I thought that he, I thought that he was a top prospect coming up, but I think he's kind of fallen off of the top 30 prospect list over the last couple of years. And their return was a player to be named later or cash. So, Seeing so seeing how the Red Sox pitching is, it makes sense. But it was kind of a salary dump, in my opinion. I think that's what it was. You know, throwing a prospect, it's kind of a salary dump. So that was kind of a shock to me. Because how often do you hear about the Yankees and Red Sox trading? Because the only one that I can think of is Babe Ruth. I swear, I thought I saw there was one done like I want to say around like 2012, but like the last one that was done. But I can't remember what I can't remember any of the details of it because when that Ottavino trade broke. That's what they, you know, somebody ESPN or whoever was like, well, this is the first Red Sox Yankees trade since da 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 da, but I don't remember the details. But yeah, and I mean, you know, you're talking about the Yankees and and as good as they, as everybody kind of expects them to be in the AL East this coming year, uh, you know, Araldis Chapman and that bullpen is not like not what they should be or used to be. So so sending out of, you know, kind of out was a, was a bit of a shocker. Um, so 
the next bit of off-season talk we're going to have is just kind of the lack of moves or, or maybe some moves, uh, or the, like I said, or the lack of moves that are just kind of, you know, head scratchers or, or not sitting well with us, kind of annoying us. And uh, once again, I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins. I'll lead this one off. And I am going to just real quick, because Craig's gotten into a little bit of this and stuff, but I'm going to rant a little bit on, on my Cubs, because as Craig said, you know, this is the hard, probably the hardest off season really to go through since I've been a Cubs fan and listen, and I've suffered through hundred lost seasons that I knew in March were going to be hundred lost seasons. And I had more fun in the off season and the season than this right now, because at least back then, Hey, they were the lovable losers. They're still playing at Wrigley. There's still all these things. They're a lot of fun to watch and you just have no expectations. And now, you know, that feels like they got a taste of winning. feels like the Ricketts got their title and then are like, cool. Now it's all about the money and I don't care what kind of team we put out there. It's all about the dollars. The fact that like the fact that, you know, they don't bring Lester back who there was a story after he signed with Washington that came out that he went to the Cubs front office basically as soon as he could, as soon as the season ended and said, I want to come back to Chicago what kind of dollars are we talking about to make that happen? And the Cubs basically were like, well, we can't sign off on anything. So I don't know to basically just shrug off a guy like John Lester, who is the biggest single reason that franchise took the turn that it did for this window it is so disrespectful to just to me as a fan. I can't even imagine how John Lester felt with that conversation going the way that it went. Like I mean, that's one of the heroes so, of, the, of the world series. It yeah. It's guy. so <laughs> ridiculous to just basically not even like really thank him or give him a send off, but just to kind of like shrug your shoulders and be like, well, you want actual money. We can't do that. We're only the third biggest market in baseball. What do you expect? And then to not bring back Schwerber who goes off and kind of breaks the mold of a contract by getting more He's one of the few players I saw that he gets more in now with his deal than he would have in arbitration. If the Cubs had taken him to arbitration, they would have only had to pay him about what they're paying Jock Peterson. So it doesn't make any sense. None of their offseason moves have really made any sense. Don't get me wrong. I love bringing our Arietta and even Pedro Stroke back. But like, so you're telling me you could pay those guys to come back, but you couldn't keep Schwerber and Lester. Like it, it doesn't, none of it computes. Like you can bring in Jock Peterson, but you can't give that same money to Schwarber. Like none of it just makes any sense. And it's just really a piss poor off season uh, to put it nicely as a Cubs fan. It's so infuriating to watch a team that still has potential to be really good. Like if you look at their one through five and their line, their potential lineup, it's really good. You still have Hap, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Wilson Contreras. Like those are solid high end talent pieces. And you just put nothing around them and basically just shrugged your shoulders and said, well, that's as good as we can do. And it's just flat out. not Okay. Rant over somebody else. Go. Well, and I mean, you know, one of the players the Cubs also didn't bring back was Jose Quintana, who goes to the Angels, and that's the one that I was going to talk about um, because the Angels uh, did not really address their pitching woes. Um, you know, and also real quick on Jose Quintana, that kind of solidifies the Jose Quintana trade as being one of the, like, one of the, I mean, I guess the Alex Avila trade is still the worst one that they ever made, but that's going to be a close second yeah. now that Quintana's not there anymore. What the Cubs gave up to go then now – uh, you know, to go get Quintana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I wanted to address the angels a little bit, you know, they didn't add pitching that they desperately needed. Uh, they uh, had a middle of the road pitching staff in 2020. They did add Alex Cobb, who if he can kind of find his magic again, same with Quintana, they could be solid starters, but you know, 
Bauer they could have made a play for, although I guess, you know, he didn't have the greatest relationship with Mickey Callaway, so that was probably a little bit more far-fetched. Oda Rizzi's still out there. There's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's still plenty of, or there still is plenty of pitching talent out there that the Angels could have got. Because in my opinion, like I said, I think the AOS is up for grabs right now. I mean, the Astros, they're not going to have Verlander. Their bullpen's kind of suspect, in my opinion. The, yes, they still have Bregman and Correa, but they lose Springer. Uh, which yep. is a big loss. Uh, the the athletics are not going to be a team that can really – they're going to be good, but they're not going to run away with that division. So the Angels had an opportunity with all the talent they have, you know, on the batting side, obviously with Proud and Rendon and, and Joe Adele coming up and all that kind of thing. With all that talent they have, they didn't add any pitching to really help. I mean, you know, when you're – you know, rotation – when, you know, Dylan Bundy, who had a great year last year, don't get me wrong, but he's – you know, far and away, still the ace of your staff going into 2021. I mean, there's no reason it should be like that. They should have – I mean, you're telling me they couldn't have made a play for Snell or Darvish who got traded for pennies on the dollar? Like, it just doesn't really make sense uh, why the Angels couldn't have added more. Yeah, I mean, and it's almost – it almost kind of th- makes me think of, like, the – like. Ryan Grigson for us Colts fans, like who who never added anything around luck except he's like, let's just throw a bunch of skill players and fancy, like we'll just go keep getting offense. Like, you know, so that seems to be what the Angels do. They're like, well, how many bats can we possibly acquire to to overlook our pitching? And it doesn't work that way. But also, could you imagine if they had added Bauer on a contract like he ended up getting with LA? Holy crap, they'd be paying Trout out the wazoo, Bauer out the wazoo, and still paying Pujols way more than he needs. Like that would have been three huge contracts on the book minus whoever else they've got there so yeah crazy Pujols making bank for sitting on the bench <laughs> like man that is a um I, i'm obviously going to talk about how normally in off seasons the reds are normally quiet the last couple of years they got super aggressive you know you make trades for matt kemp and uh Pascal puig a few years ago which was a huge deal for us Reds fans. We don't do when the off season happens, we usually just hibernate for a few months. And then we come back out when spring training starts and seeing what, uh, what rookie pitcher is going to get the bump on opening day, but then they get aggressive. And then this past year, you know, they get Nick Castellanos with his deep drive over the left field wall for a home. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I couldn't help it. Um, iconic. Love it. I, I still love it. And then, you know, you go acquire, yeah, you trade away Yasiel Puig, but you got Trevor Bauer. Like, you made you made moves. You stayed aggressive. How in the hell can you do nothing but salary dump this year? How? Oh, hey, we made the postseason. We scored no runs. Barely, too. Barely made it. Bar- barely made it. With Mike Stockis no and all those. All those yeah, ex- expand. Expanded playoffs in a shortened season. Like the only one that made sense was like, oh hey, Shogo Akiyama coming over from overseas didn't play a full season. You know, I knew he was going to have his struggles, but everyone else not like was struggling on offense, and you did nothing to help try and build their offense around that wonderful starting pitching staff that they have. Especially nothing, just, not one. Uh, sorry, Mike. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, you're yeah. good. Uh. Especially since just this time, you know, the same time last year, right now, we would be saying that the Reds were a serious contender. You know, that's all we heard last offseason. The Reds are a serious contender. And then this and then this season, they changed direction. So you can ask you can ask Chris. I talked way too much crap, way too much to get a total of 
one run in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Like it's just to be, to be fair. To be fair, the Cubs scored one run in two games at home against the Marlins. So it's I just I'm just confused. I don't know if they are having their eyes on some of their prospects, which of course we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, that they think it might be would come up and fill up a gap, but you know you had guys out there and not even in the conversation for him. It's just obscene to me. Yeah, I mean, the theme continues with our favorite team as being cheap. I don't know what it is about the city of Chicago, but same thing on the south side. I mean, it's just Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, I mean, yeah, we made a few moves. We talked about Lance Lynn. I mean, um, I'm excited about that. I don't think giving up Dane Dunning was as steep as some people think. Um, I mean, we just have – we have a crap ton of, you know, pitching depth in the minors even coming up. And then Michael Kopech didn't even pitch last year. He's coming back. Um, I, I think the Sox are fine. I think Lance Lynn will be uh, a plus there. But, I mean, just the fact that, you know, even Liam Hendricks, I, I don't know why our money was allocated there. I like Liam Hendricks. I think he's an upgrade over Colome. But I don't think it was needed. Colome's more than fine. He'll, he'll make you sweat a little bit. But – He's still going to close out ball games, um, so I just don't know why we allocate a money in a closer like Hendricks, who really analytics-wise hasn't been good minus the last two years. Which obviously, I mean, I think he's definitely worth the money he got, but I just don't think it made too much sense for us. And then the biggest thing that really ticked me off was right field. I mean, arguably went down from Nomar Mazzara, which I thought was freaking impossible. I mean, I mean. Adam Eaton had a worse wins above replacement than Nomar did last year. So, you know, and Adam Eaton was a clubhouse nightmare at the end of his tenure in Chicago. So, I mean, I, I'm, I haven't been too crazy about the Sox. Obviously, they have so much coming up that, you know, it probably, you know, negates a lot of that. And, you know, I, I'm not saying we needed to go out and get Bauer or George Springer, but like, you know, definitely wouldn't have hurt. So, again, kind of a lot of the things you guys are saying is just, you know, some of our teams just being really cheap and it really not making much sense. So hey, don't worry about it. You got Tony La Russa. You'll be fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that bullet. We're going to save that. bullet. <laughs> that'll, okay. that'll be an hour long. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, same thing with me. Pirates never spend any money. So this, uh, this, uh, off season, I would say our biggest, uh, acquisition has been Todd uh, Todd Frazier who we who we ju- who we just signed to a non-guaranteed deal like he's not even projected or mm. not guaranteed to make the roster so and I mean being more of a minor league baseball fan I guess I mean it's good seeing these guys in Indy which I mean with the Thailand trade they got the uh, Miguel y- Yawari I think is his name from the Yankees and they got three other weapons as well. But, yeah, it's just same old Pirates, never spend any money. And uh, then they even added Tony Walters to also a non-guaranteed uh, deal because right now they're making on the catcher being Jacob Stallings, which has been – I don't even know how to describe him without using pro, pro, uh, pro uh, profanity. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it just it, – it, it, and it seems like, it, you know, it's – 
it's not a coincidence. I think that all of our favorite teams are getting cheap. I think it's kind of the message around the league outside of San Diego didn't get that message. LA obviously didn't get that message, but there's a lot of teams that are looking to, Hey, just, you know, and I understand, you know, COVID and everything I think has kind of changed a lot of the ways that uh, these front offices are looking at finances and dollar figures and everything, but it, it's getting out of hand. It's ridiculous. Uh, some of these trades we've seen, as we talked about, are just, I mean, mind blowing for the, for the stars that are, mo- that are on the move for what the return is, is, is just mind boggling. But so we're going to look ahead now, uh, spring training guys less than a week away. I mean, Put, put all the off-season crap aside. Like, we're here. We're at the end of February. It's that time of year. My Personally, my second favorite baseball time of the year outside of October. Obviously, nothing touches October. But, man, spring training, like, just all the hope is there for every team, you know, out, outside of Baltimore. Every team has that hope, has everything. So, uh, I mean, I, I bring up Baltimore. I take a cheap shot at them because uh, I, I'm sure we all have seen it. The – just the postseason odds that Fangraphs put out there uh, this year, absolutely hilarious. And uh, I want to, I want everybody to just take one team that, like, I don't know, just what caught your eye the most when you're looking at these postseason odds. And for me, I mean, it, uh, it's got to be those those Orioles getting a zero point zero percent chance to make the postseason. So you can't even use the classic Jim Carrey gif of "So you're telling me there's a chance?" Because Fangraphs is literally telling you that Baltimore has no chance when. There are teams like they at least gave like the Pirates a 0.4% chance. So they're saying like, hey, something could happen there. But they're saying there's nothing. There's no way Baltimore can find a way into the postseason. And I threw my head back and laughed so hard when I saw that. It was ridiculous. Even yeah. the Rockies have a 0.1% chance. How do the Red Sox have 47%? Because they're the Red Sox. I guess so. Like, there's- trash because there's the red Sox. there's no reason i mean i thought it was so disrespectful to have tampa your reigning (laughs) al champion at an 18 percent chance i understand they lost snell but like to act like well they're good it's not lebron james leaving the leaving the Cavs. like here's the thing here's the thing i remember they didn't just lose one of their top tier starters they lost two but they also brought Chris Archer back. I know he's not those that level, but like you can't tell me as well he's not a solid piece to bring back. Like I don't know, that's crazy. I, I thought that one was was kind of out there too. Anything else catch you guys' eye in in these uh, FanGraphs odds? I, 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 I go ahead. Go ahead, Craig. Go ahead. I was gonna say one thing that also catches my eye is the fact that they have uh, the Mets higher than the Braves yeah. because. Yeah. They're not even close. Because especially with the Mets not getting Bauer, I'm not necessarily 100% sold that the Mets rotation is better than the Braves rotation right now. Right. Um, It could still, that could change. I think, you know, obviously going out and getting like the Trevor Mays of the world, the Francisco Lindors of the world on the other side of the coin, you know, those are going to be, you know, big moves. I think the Mets are going to be a playoff team this year, but I wouldn't put them as a better chance to make the playoffs than the Braves. No. I agree. I completely agree. Also, let's uh, let's just take a look at this NL West projection. Hilarious. Padres (laughs) ninety-two, and the rest are below king. Combined, combined, it's no love for for (laughs) NL West at all. But besides them, uh, besides them, uh, them, uh, them two squads right there. Well, look at the. I mean, sorry, Chris, but look at the Diamondbacks. A year after they add Mad Bum. They add Starling Marte. 
It looks, you know, they have Cattell Marte. It looks like they're going to have an amazing, you know, run at it. And they still, I mean, have this, they, they, they gave, a, they got not rid of uh, Starling Marte, but they still have, you know, some solid pieces on that team. And it's basically out the window now, not even, not even better than the Giants, who all they did was bring back Gosman. Yeah, and I mean, and for them, it's it's the same path that I think the Rockies are now taking. Where as soon as Arizona like you know traded Goldschmidt huh, to St. Louis, it ha- you know hasn't. I mean, that was the first sign of well, Arizona doesn't want to be good. That like they don't want to be good, and that's the same thing with Colorado. They shedded. So yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. I understand these projections. It's all about numbers. It's all about the fact that like, okay, yeah, let's be realistic. The NOS is going to have two playoff teams. They're going to have the Padres and the Dodgers, whatever they finish up. So there's one wild card spot in the NL up for grabs. And so I think that's the number where that's where like you see those Mets and the and the Braves take that dip. But man, yeah, the disrespect to have the Braves such a lower number than the Mets was just crazy. And again, you talk about a team that was a game away from the World Series and all they did was add talent and not lose anybody. I think the Mets, as good as they their offseason was, and that's the best. This is the best offseason they've had in a long time. But their hype is kind of is kind of skyrocketing and I don't really see it personally. I do like the NL central. Um, it makes me laugh just because you, uh, it's kind of what we all expect where it's, I think it's going to be one of the most competitive divisions and also the least exciting to watch because I think you're going to have four teams vying for a title, but I don't think I I'm telling you right now, I don't see the winner of the central winning more than 92 games. If we play First one, one to 81 wins the division. First <laughs> I mean, race to 81, baby. I like yeah. that. I just think it's funny that the NL Central winner they have projected as the Cardinals, and that's not even like above fifty percent. So they're like, well, not even, not even so, like, hey, let's bump them up to fifty because there has to be a team from the Central. That <laughs> <win."> like, <laughs> if you played this season, apparently, if you played this season three times, they would not make the playoff twice. And it's like, yeah. well, somebody's from the Central has to make it at least. I'm oh surprised one of those numbers is higher. Yeah. And does anybody looking at the AL? Does anybody actually? I'm so, I'm shocked that, that Houston has a 71 percent chance to win that division. I don't see it. They're not gonna I, they lost. so low. Yeah, they they lost Springer. I mean, I I think Houston's window is I have to say more more closed than Chicago than the Cubs. Honestly, they like I think their window is is shrinking rapidly. And I mean, and why can't the Angels finally put it together one year and, and get out there? So I mean, it, it's it's wild. Uh, I mean, you know what, Matt, we're going to throw you a bone. I really want to talk about your, your white Sox, man. They had such a fun year last year. I know it got halted short, but I mean, it, it, I'm not going to lie to you. It kind of reminded me and you can correct me if I'm wrong and same with Craig, but that team last year reminded a lot, me a lot of the, like the 2015 Cubs were like, Hey, they finally broke through. Like the pieces are there. You know, the pieces are there. If, if, if they all come together and take that collective step, man, I really can see them like, one of the better, if not top of the line, when ta- when you're talking about the AL teams. I mean, I know the Yankees are the Yankees, and they look poised with a lot of firepower. But I'm really liking the White Sox core, and not only that. I mean, they've got the reigning National League or AL MVP in Jose Abreu. Um, I mean, it just th- there's a lot going on there that, yeah. on the South Side of Chicago for sure. Yeah, I also- I, I, you can go, Craig. Oh, I'm sorry, Bryce. My bad. Um, also, with the uh, Yankees pitching, I'm not sure if I buy their 91 percent mm. chance because that yeah. pitching is not as good as it used to be. Yeah, but they're the Bronx Bombers, baby. Yeah. 
Yeah, they got the offense in New York, mm-hmm. obviously, and I think really the only team who's going to even give them any trouble is, is Toronto. I mean, they've got some good young talent, but I still don't think they're near as good. I mean, I, as far as the Sox, I think, uh, you know, I think we got to win the division first. Um, obviously, yeah, you can go in as a wild card team, but I think our first step, I think we're another year or two away, um, yep. you know, from, from really compete. I mean, we can compete this year. I think we can win the division this year. I think we should win the division this year. Um, I think it'll be neck and neck with the twins. And obviously those projections, um, you know, kind of hammer that out. But, you know, for me, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously the, the future is super bright. I mean, with, you know, we, you talk about even the kids coming up, Andrew Vaughn's still coming up, Jake Berger's coming off an injury. You know, I'm hoping he can still, um, you know, produce something here. And obviously, you know, the pitching depth that we have, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, obviously, the big question is is Larusa. Like, you know, what, what, does that do anything? Does a manager really do anything to your team or not? I don't know. We're gonna find out, good or bad. I, I mean, think we're gonna find yeah. out. So I've got a question, real quick, for Michael. Did you mean to write it as Tony LaRussia in the because <laughs> because, oh. you know, because I was like, that's no, I'm not like I'm not, not trying to nitpick, <laughs> but I think that's it's perfect fun. because. After yeah. Trevor Pluth mentioned this on Talking Baseball, I haven't been able to stop thinking about the fact that you bring Tony LaRusse, a super old school guy, to a team that's super flashy, yeah. bat flips. Like that whole morale of that team goes down if he's like, you know what, guys, we're not yeah. bat flipping. You, you hit a home run, you're straight face, you're running around the bases, and you're getting your butts back in the dugout. Like that's not going to be the way that team should run. And that's going to really put a damper on what that team has building. Yeah, One tip. Really want to see have a shot with, with the White with the White Sox is that prospect Zach uh, Zach Collins catcher. Yep, he's been somebody that's really that's really caught my eye that came up through the system in the minor league. I mean, he's he's a stud when it comes. I mean, he, he'll hit two fifty, but his his um, I mean, he's still his on base is going to be three seventy. I mm. mean, he's got the best eye, maybe in the majors that no one talks about. Um, sure, but the issue is is like you, you you've got a lot invested into Grandal, so it's like. Where does Collins get his at bats? And obviously now that's why McCann left is because, I mean, McCann's going out and getting his money. The White Sox are cheap, and obviously Collins comes in. So I'm excited for Collins. I mean, there, there's there's so much talent on the team. It's it's about like can Larusa, like you said, like I think at, at the least I don't think it. I think it probably is about the same as we had, um, you know, here in the past three years. So as far as Larusa coming in, so. I mean, Renteria was fine. I think LaRusso will be fine. I don't think he'll, like, hurt us that much. But, obviously, we'll have to see. So, I mean, he's going to have to – if they're going to win here in the next two, three years, he's going to have to be alive. So, we'll see yeah. if that's even you – know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's – it's going to be really interesting to watch the first time that Tim Anderson hits a bomb and and see LaRusso react. And that, I think that interaction is going to set the tone. I mean, really for the whole team because – who, I mean, Matt, like I said, you know the team a lot more than I am. Who's, who's the leader on that team? I'd argue it's Tim Anderson, the vocal yeah. leader, the, the clubhouse guy. So, I still mean, if he – you still sure. But Anderson's definitely that kind of – that fire young guy. Yeah. Um, so, I, I would agree there. I mean, that – So, I, yeah. The guy you need to build around, so. Yeah, I think – I. yeah, 100%. 100%. It's going to be really interesting. 
And uh, I mean, you know, being selfish, like real, real quick guys, do we think the Cubs and the the Reds down there, you know, both teams that we talked about lost, lost major, major, major league talent. Uh, do we think they can still kind of hold serve or rebound and uh, find their way back to the postseason? I'll, I'll tell you right now, there's no way both teams are finding their way to the postseason because if we looked at those numbers, you know, you got to do the, you got to do the math. Padres and Dodgers are taking both spots. Do we really think the Central is going to have two playoff teams? I don't see it. I really don't see it. It's going to have to be that that race to 81 that Matt said that that whoever wins the Central is, is the only one getting in. Now, can the Cubs do it? Absolutely. As I mentioned, that one through five, I would, I'd, I'd argue it's just about as good as anybody in the league outside of maybe L.A. and San Diego. You know, if, if those guys keep going, I mean, Ian Happ had a, I know it was a shortened year, but Ian Happ had a really good year last year, took a big, big step. And uh, I've seen I saw David Ross has already come out and said, that, you know, if, if things go the way they're going right now, he's projected to be he's expecting to be the leadoff guy. And if you have a switch hitter at the top of the lineup with some pop to him, I mean, he, he can set the tone really well. And we know if uh, Craig and I know specifically the Cubs thrive, that, that core thrives off having a great leadoff hitter. When they had Dexter Fowler, I mean, that team that team ran behind Dexter Fowler. He set the tone. And if Ian Happ can be that contact guy with, with some power to him too, and he's a switch hitter up there, I mean, he can really set the tone if he continues uh, off of his good 2020 season. And man, I'm telling you right now, look out for the Chris Bryant revenge tour this year. He is, I mean, he is ready to go. He wants to be healthy. He's finally, he looks healthy. You know, I hope he stays healthy. He's been hurt a lot the last couple of years. And I think he's really been undervalued. I think people forget he's a, he was a national league MVP five tool guy played the whole field outside of, you know, catching and pitching. I mean, he can really do it all. He's a prototypical guy. There's a reason Joe Madden loved him as much as he did to move him around. And I mean, watch out for his revenge tour. Anthony Rizzo is still going to do his thing. So they can do it. It just, it's going to be interesting. And like I said, only one team's coming out of the central, really. It's really going to be the Cardinals race to lose. I think the Cardinals are far and away the best team in the NL central. I mean, the Reds barely made the playoffs with all their talent. Now that talent is gone last year. And then the Cubs, um, you know, if anything, kind of stayed the same. I mean, yes, they have still have a lot of talent there that can have a good season. But you know, if I if I'm taking if I'm putting a you know if I'm telling Todd A if he were here if I were telling him to put his <laughs> bets down, I'd be telling him to put his money on St. Louis because yeah. I mean you've got I mean even without talking about their pitching, you know, led by Jack Flaherty, you also have you know the Goldschmidt, you have Arenado, you have some really good bats in that lineup. Um, so I think it's their division to lose. So if either of these two teams, the Cubs or the Reds, are going to make it, it's going to have to be because the Cardinals didn't come together, didn't perform as well as they were expecting to. It's going to be them not living up to expectations. I don't think it's going to be either of these two teams going above what their expectations are. True. I mean, shifting gears over to the Reds, I'm going to have to agree with Craig. It's definitely the Cardinals' division to lose right now. But I feel like pitching-wise – the Reds probably have the best pitching in the central, at least at the front end of the rotation. It's the back end and the bullpen that are the problem. We don't have a set closer. I think Amir Garrett's going to get it, but you also bring in Sean Doolittle and you have Michael Lorenzen who still wants to play outfield. And then you haven't really addressed shortstop. I mean, have you seen the spring training pictures? Michael Lorenzen be jacked right now, dude. You can hit some bombs right now, but um, they still need to address shortstop, especially because they that's a position that's been really weak since they had Jose Iglesias. Hmm. And they haven't really answered that. 
they brought up some people, they've tried moving some people around and it's just never worked. And it's something they need to address and to hopefully get some more offense because that's also going to be another key thing. And that's what I think about that is them. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's what um, stinks about them selling off what they, uh, you know, had from last year too, because if they were still in buy mode, I mean, who's saying they couldn't go out and get Trevor story to fill that gap and be, you know, the guy, the shortstop over there in Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, he would, I mean, you see what he does in course field. If he were able to hit, you know, well there, I mean, going to a little league ballpark should be good too. So, I mean, um, <laughs> no, but no, I'm just saying like, you know, if, if the Reds were yeah. still in buy mode, who's to say they couldn't get Trevor story for literally the same amount mm-hmm. that they had, to, that the Cardinals had to give up to get Arenado. Yeah. I mean, imagine if that rotation keeps Bauer somehow, uh, they keep Bauer and then yeah, add a guy like story. I mean, you're talking about them right there with the Cardinals, if not the, you know, the off season favorite for the division at that point, if they were to make a couple moves like that and just stay aggressive, which isn't asking a lot, just as you said already, you know, as of how you look at the last couple of years when they were making moves, making deals, signing guys, bringing guys up. I mean, yeah, it it really is interesting to see them hit the brakes so hard all of a sudden and and kind of throw the car in reverse when like, Hey, you were, you you were almost there. Like you you were, you were, you were making some progress and then all of a sudden just to slam the brakes and and put it in reverse is kind of crazy to me too. And it's just, it's getting old already. I, I still like the Sean Doolittle signing, but I don't think that solves enough issues because, yeah, you just filled the hole you made by trading yeah. away your closer. Like, yeah, why? yeah. That's the, I mean, it's like a, it's like I was saying about the Cubs. Okay, you let Lester walk and you bring Arietta back. Okay, well, it's great, but like you're making moves that don't make sense. At the end of the day, like you're, that scale is just kind of balancing itself without going one way or the other and the, the reds did the same thing by loading some talent but then also like maybe trying to service their fans by giving them something to hold on to and bringing a guy in or two so i don't know and the other thing i want to hit on with, with the nl central is you know we've talked about the three teams i'm sorry bryce my my dad's a pirates fan so i'd love to talk about them but let's consider that they're not in the race but i mean you guys <laughs> can talk a little bit more about milwaukee i'm, I'm guessing obviously a lot of it has to do with yelich i mean yeah, that's why he, he has to bounce back, obviously, for yep. them to do anything worth a damn. So, like, I guess from your guys perspective, I mean, where where does Milwaukee sit? I mean, I if it all comes back together, like you said, it all hinges on Yelich. It all hinges on Yelich. If he finds his MVP form. I mean, again, like like Craig was saying too, it's St. Louis's to lose. If those things kind of break Milwaukee's way, if St. Louis doesn't figure it out and Milwaukee does. Uh, I'd argue their talent and stuff is right there. They've got an elite closer right now in Josh Hader. They're, I mean, Craig Count, and I think Craig Council is such a good manager, especially in Milwaukee. I think he's, I think he's beloved there, and I think that locker room, that that clubhouse believes in him and every like everything that he said. They've completely bought into his system. Whoever, you know, comes into Milwaukee, I mean, they're a fun team. I think they kind of fly under the radar, and, and and I mean, they, I, I think they have just as much of a shot as winning it, if, if I'm saying the Cubs have a shot, then the Brewers also have a shot. It, yeah. It's they're, they're right there. It, it just things have to break their way as well. I feel like there's a lot more upside for the Cubs. Cause you had just so many hitters that, yeah. I mean, it was abysmal last year. If you didn't have Hap, I mean, oh. I mean, I mean, and I, Hayward, that's why I look at the Cubs. Like I actually have a lot more faith in them and I, I don't really know why they're kind of in, I'm not going to say tank mode, but kind of more sell mode because, they just had so many guys, and I've never been a huge 
like Byron Baez, but like, you know, I mean, he's better than he was last year, obviously. So that's yeah. kind of my view on the Cubs and Brewers and, you know, the Cardinals there too. So, yeah. I also think uh, with the uh, Reds, uh, I also think that they're going to rely on some, some of their prospects this year because with the, you know, with the shorter minor league, uh, you know, how they just cut all the minor league teams. They cut like 40 minor league teams, I believe. Crazy. And yeah. you and you have, you know, some of them guys that could be ma- major league ready uh, coming up soon. And uh, hopefully Hunter Green is 100% and ready to go because I got – uh, Gasolina. Uh, yeah, because I uh, got the chance to see him pitch in Dayton when he was in low way. Oh, which, wow. You know, Dayton is high. Man, that guy's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, that's actually a good segue into our, our next player I kind of want to highlight on. And that's, uh, you know, another two way player in the league. Uh, Shohei Otani did, in fact, get the all clear to uh, not only hit, but pitch as well. Uh, do we think the Angels try to work through whatever rust he may be coming off of? Obviously, we had the short year. He didn't pitch very well. He only pitched in two games last season, and he had a uh, whopping 37.8 ERA, only struck out three batters in 1.2 innings pitched in those two games. But, I mean, he did bat nearly 200 with 291 OB on base. He had seven homers, 24 ribbies. I think, I mean, if I'm keeping it short, yeah, I think they do work through the rust. First off, what do they have to lose outside of another injury to letting him just figure out his pitching? The bat is obviously translated to the majors. We know he can hit. And yeah, who's to say he can't figure out the pitching? He just really hasn't been had the opportunity because of his injury shortened seasons, you know. And and how much? And I have so much respect for him for getting those injuries and then still being like, yeah, I can't pitch, but man, I can still contribute to this team and hit. Throw me in the lineup, and and let's get let's get it done. And I, I he's just one of those guys. I think uh, the whole league is kind of rooting for um, because I've yet to hear a bad thing about him. I honestly don't think they're going to have a choice on whether or not they want to stick through the rest because he's easily their second best pitcher on the team as it goes <laughs> right now, um, you know, yeah. behind Dylan Bundy. And, and I mean, I would put him, I would rate him even after a bad year pitching above Quintana, above Cobb and all sure. that kind of thing. Uh, it does seem as if uh, splitting time is starting to take its toll because he, except for that first year, he's really not had a lot of success doing both. Um, and I mean, I could, you know, you brought up Michael Lorenzen earlier. I could see that being the way long term how that ends up. I could see him being more of a bullpen guy mm. um, down, you know, later on in his career where he doesn't have to focus so much on one or the other. Because, you know, at the beginning, I, I didn't know how it was going to work. I was like, eventually he's going to have to pick one or the other because the way these, you know, these athletes train now, I mean, it's, it's all, you know, it's so hyper focused on certain things that like how he's going to be able to dedicate, um, you know, enough time to be success, very successful at both. How is he going to put enough time in to be, you know, an MVP caliber outfielder as well as a Cy Young caliber, you know, starting pitcher, you know, it's kind of like the old Parks and Rec quote, you know, you don't have, you know, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. That's what I figured it was going to end up being. Um, but I, I can see him long-term going the way of being in the bullpen and being, you know, on the, in the outfield. But as far as this season, I mean, they don't have a choice whether or not they want to stick to the rest because he's easily, even if you don't rate him above, you know, you know, as the second best pitcher on the Angels, he's still a guy you need in that rotation to be successful this season. And I'm going to have to agree with Craig because 
they're so thin. If they had signed a Trevor Bauer or a big name starter, I feel like that takes the pressure off of kind of pushing Shohei back into that rotation full time, especially at higher up in the rotation. But I mean, when he was rolling, he was great. He had that four two year uh, four and two with three ERA and sixty three strikeouts in his rookie season as on the Angels, and then he also was raking that year. But I, with all the injuries, like you have to be really careful because the first sign of wear on that arm, you if you wanted him to be a bullpen arm down the road, you need to be ready to pull the leash and take him off the gas. Otherwise, you could tank this man's career. You could Andrew Luck Shohei Otani. Mm. And that would just be bad for the entire game of baseball. Like, two-way players are so exciting because those are just as rare as the legendary switch pitcher for the Giants. Like, you don't want to – you want more of these guys to come up. You don't want them to be scared about tearing up their throwing arm. Right. And, you know, only being a hitter and not being that great. Um, like, oh, shoot, he played for the Cardinals. I can't remember his name. Uh, someone else. Someone help me out here. I got Mark nothing. I, there it is. Six. Mark uh, is it Michael? Like, uh, <laughs> describe him again. Uh, he wore 66 for St. Louis. Um, he pitched and hit for a while, and then he became a primary outfielder. I know who you're talking about, and I also can't think of their name. Because he was uh, Rick Ankeel. Was, was it Ankeel? Yes, it was it was Ankeel. Yes. Oh, um, okay. But when he shifted away from pitching and pitching and hitting, and only became a hitter, his career just kind of tanked. Now he tried to come back for a little bit, but he that. was never able to actually get come back to form for in one thing or another. It seemed like splitting time was actually better for Rick Ankeel, but injuries uh, derailed that. And the big thing too, and I, I agree with you guys. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta at least try at least a little bit on splitting but the biggest thing I always say I mean hitters are just more valuable than pitchers so I mean you got to save his hitting you got to save his hitting that's the most important thing yeah he might be the second best pitcher on that staff but that's just because their staff's not very good I mean yeah I mean and that's that's not fair to to him but I, I think you that has to be their primary focus um I'm super confused what the Angels have been doing the last really decade I mean Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they obviously Trout's amazing, but there's a reason they haven't really done anything around him because they haven't they haven't really done much to build around him. And I know they've tried, but you know, as far as Otani, yeah, he's it's hitter first. That's that's the way I look at it. He's hitter first, and they got to focus on that if it if it doesn't you know work out on the pitching end. All right, guys. So in the last week. Um... We had some uh, some kind of off the wall, interesting, a little fun news story dropped. Uh, Tim Tebow officially stepped away and retired um, from playing baseball. He was obviously in the Mets organization. Um, you know, I think may- personally, I think maybe he stepped away, kind of knowing that, like, okay, the Mets, the Mets kind of changed course, and they're not necessarily a joke anymore. They're 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 putting together a competent baseball team, and I don't know if I've got a spot in a competent baseball team. So um, I think it's time to walk away. He's obviously got a great gig uh, on the SEC network. He, he's got nothing to prove to anybody. He's, he's lived a hell of a life so far. And, uh, but that brings up an interesting question. You know, we've had a couple of multi-sport guys come over to play baseball and uh, I want to know, you know, who had the better baseball career, if you will, if you're talking Michael Jordan or Tim Tebow, and I'll give you my quick answer. 
And I'm going to take MJ, not based on any stats. I, I, I don't care about the numbers. I'm taking MJ because I have always felt like he did it just kind of as like a, a big F you like I can do this if I want to do it and let me just show you. And like, because he's always had that Uber competitive spirit that made Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Like, so I, I think he just, it's just hilarious to think about, you know, his baseball career as he just did it because he, he felt like he could do it. Whereas I think Tebow had a legit shot. If he had chosen that path, maybe earlier in life and focused on it as kind of, kind of, as Craig said, you know, you can't have, don't half-ass two things, whole ass one thing. If Tebow had, I mean, no, not played football. He, I mean, you never know what kind of career he could have had in baseball, but I felt like he was a better ball player, but I'm, I'm still going to take Michael Jordan just because it's, it's hilarious when you think about his, his White Sox career, if you will. I'm, I'm going to, obviously, I want to say the, uh, play devil's advocate. I'm going to play a uh, angel's advocate with Tim Tebow, just purely based off of stats. And I know it's a rough thing to say because Tebow played five seasons. Jordan just played the one. But Jordan only bat only batted 202 with a 289 on base percentage, had three homers and 59 RBIs. Whereas Tebow batted 222 with a 299 on base percentage, 18 homers, and 109 RBIs. Now, granted, that was in five seasons, but it just seemed like he really went all in on baseball to a team that didn't really want to bring him up other than unless they just wanted to sell some seats. Like they wanted to sell jerseys. They wanted to sell merch. They wanted to sell tickets. And then as soon as I got Lindor, I'm sure Tebow saw the writing on the wall where he wasn't going to get a roster spot because now they have the hype player. But I know he's saying that he wanted to get his life was pulling in another direction, but I just felt like he saw the writing on the wall after all that time. But if I had to pick between the two of them, as much as I love MJ, one of my favorite basketball players of all time, um, I'm going to take it. I almost said baseball. I mean, nope. Be, Him over Ken Griffey favorite. Jr., MJ the GOAT. He can be well, one of your favorite uh, minor league baseball players of all time. <laughs> I mean, I think I could do that. The solid solid compromise there. Now, with mine, it's just kind of hard to tell because I think that both of them were kind of just publicity stunts, if you will. Hmm. And Tebow's batting average when he got to Triple A wasn't really that like good. It was like one. Uh, uh, it, it was like one sixty three. I mean, and if you're starting with a one, that that's all I need to know. Yeah, and the Mets had guys that were on their Triple A team that year, such as Rajay Davis as well, who was trying to make a comeback. So he didn't get as much playing time. But I mean, it's still hard to tell with, I guess, all the publicity stunts that that, uh, that was going on, like. Michael said, because uh, both the White Sox, whenever Jordan played, and then Tebow, they they made a lot of money off of just the mer- uh, of just the merchandise and ticket sales alone. Yeah, I think Tim Tebow's biggest mistake was he didn't go to a Florida team. I think if he would have gone to the Rays or the Marlins, uh, then I think it would have been a little bit better. What stinks for me is because I'm I'm a Tebow guy. I like Tim Tebow. Um, you know, I was a fan of him in college. I just like the way that he played. He kind of broke the mold as far as not really broke the mold, but he you know isn't your prototypical quarterback in the sense that he's basically built like a linebacker, but also um, you know playing quarterback. Um, you know, and I, it's it's kind of stinks because because he didn't he threw awkwardly. And because of Tebow mania, he kind of got a lot of, he got a lot of haters. He got a lot of negative stigma around him. 
And I think like, that's the only reason why when he tried to go to baseball, I, I, I think, I think Tebow had that drive to still be a professional athlete. He still wanted to be a professional athlete. It wasn't going to work out in football. So he wanted to try his hand at baseball. And the only reason he received so much hate and people now granted social media wasn't around when MJ did it. So maybe if, when, if MJ had done it today, you know, maybe there would be more hate on there, but like, I feel like, you know, there was a lot of hatred towards, Oh, he's taking, he's taking the spot of somebody else, whatever, you know, that, but I think it's because that negative stigma is why there were people that had so much of an issue with it. I think, he finally got to a point, like you guys were saying, where I think he proved that he could do it, sort of, um, by making it as high as he did. And then was like, I don't need to really chase this anymore. I've proven that I can get to a solid level. Realistically, with his age and how long it was taking him to get through the minor league system, it's not like he was going to get like some gigantic contract, If he, even if he had made it to the major leagues. He might have yeah. just for the sake of publicity, but like he's not going to be out here making, you know, Fernando Tatis, Mike Trout money. <sighs> Not even Justin Upton money. He's not going to be making anything around that. So um, I think he kind of chased that drive a little bit. I was able to do that. But, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. You know, I I just think that Tebow has kind of that negative stigma around him because I, I guarantee you if Tom Brady, you know, woke up tomorrow and was like, I'm going to go be a catcher again. I, I want to chase that dream. I doubt, I doubt there's going to be anybody if he were to go to the Rays, let's say, or go to the Red Sox, there would be anybody that would be like, Oh, he's taking the spot of somebody that deserves it. Like, no, they would back, yeah. they would back away and let Tom Brady play. But you know, I, I get it. They're, MJ and Brady are the greatest of all time in their sports, and Tebow really was never that in either sport that he played. But I just think that he had that negative stigma around him. I always thought that if both uh, MJ and Tebow would have made the major leagues, I always thought that they would have been out there for a cup of coffee and just for something like a publicity stunt as i mentioned earlier like they might have only played like like 100 career games or even less than that i think yeah i don't think you would have seen them in any kind of starting lineups clutch moments postseason runs either i mean mean, you know why not i mean Deion sanders literally did both at the same time why wouldn't he be in the conversation like if he if tim you tell me if tim tebow was like came up to the major leagues and was hitting you know 341 with you know a a ton of home runs and rbis that they'd be like well, but you're still Tim Tebow, so we're going to put you on the bench for this one. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, if he had gotten called up and – I mean, it depends. It just depends on the situation. If he had gotten called up two years ago with the Mets when they weren't winning – when they were winning 70 games, then, yeah, he probably would have started every game just to, just to you know, put butts in the seats and, who, and, and to see what he could have done. It's not – you know, it's not so bad to where, like, well, we don't expect you to do anything. But, I mean, the expectations wouldn't, wouldn't have been there. Now, of course, if he – comes out and you know is hitting 325 homers then hell yeah and he's leading his team to a playoff run then yeah you ride the hot hand but you know i just i that would have been such an astronomical event i think to be completely honest we're gonna so one of our last topics that i want to talk about is uh we want to look at prospects because prospects man when you talk baseball prospects is really where it's at it's a whole different kind of animal uh, not and not just in baseball, but really, I'd argue in other sports, you don't see anything in other sports quite like what you see uh, in in MLB when you're talking single A, low A, high A, double A, and triple A guys, and 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 what you see. So, I want we're gonna keep it a little shorter. I want one prospect per league, so two guys total from everybody that we just kind of want to keep your eye on whether they break the you know whether they make the uh, major league roster this year or not that's not really the criteria here i just want to know 
what kind of names we're, we're kind of keeping tabs on. And uh, Matt, Matt, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? I don't know if you've let us off yet tonight. So let's, let's give you yeah. the floor first here. So uh, I, in the end, I'll start NL. Um, biggest one I, I'm really excited about is, uh, and it, it's mainly it's because where does he fit? Uh, we already mm-hmm. talked about the Padres, but Mackenzie Gore, um, sure. you know, where does he fit? I, I really like him. He actually played up here in Fort Wayne uh, mm-hmm. for the team caps here for a bit. Really enjoyed okay. watching him. He's a stud. I think he was a third overall pick when he was drafted. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, watching him, he's a stud. Where does he fit kind of with, you know, this season and the future of the Padres? I'm not really sure, but I'm, I'm excited to see him and, and kind of where he ends up. Um, I talked a little bit. I'll try to stay away from Sox, but, you know, just I'll, I'll, I guess I'll say two guys, but uh, obviously, Andrew Vaughn, he could potentially, you know, be in the starting lineup or I mean, not the starting lineup, but, you know, on the 25 man roster here for the Sox. But if I'm sticking away from the Sox, I think the biggest one for me is Casey Mize. Obviously, Detroit is, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, they, they are what they are, but um, he's the number one overall pick for a reason. He's a stud. He's already played in Detroit and I know he played it. I think he pitched against us once and he was pretty damn good. So uh, I'm excited to watch him more. Yeah. I think Mize had like a fast track to the yeah. the uh, major leagues. Oh, yeah. If you notice, he wasn't in the minors hardly any time. No, not at all. Less than no. two years, right? I For think sure. so. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, he was again. He he has to be pretty close to meeting his, his innings requirement. For I mean, because I, I was actually kind of shocked to see him still on. Um, you know, being on that. But again, last year was a sixty game season, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going off of that, you know, you brought up McKenzie Gore. I'm right there with you. I mean, he's the sixth best prospect uh, in baseball right now. Uh, the Padres, you know, a lot of ways, they have a lot of ways they can handle McKenzie Gore. You mentioned it, the fact that, you know, uh, you know, where does he fit? I mean, they could throw him in the bullpen. They could trade him for a bigger piece after the Musgrove move and the Snell move and the Darvish move. So that'll be interesting to see what they can do with him. Cause he, I mean, the Padres bullpen did struggle last year, so you could throw him in the bullpen or heck if they're trying to add some pieces down the stretch, whether it be to, to the bullpen or to their starting lineup uh, you know, they can make a move with McKenzie Gore. So that'll be really interesting to watch there. Uh, my AL prospect, uh, I was actually surprised he was on a list because, you know, he seems kind of weird now because of the uh, postseason he had, but Randy Rosarena, he's a 34th ranked prospect right now in baseball you know, had kind of a, you know, humdrum middle of the road career uh, until last year's massive postseason run where he's setting records uh, for most hits, the ALCS MVP, 10 home runs um, in the postseason. Now, I know he's had some, you know, off the field issues this year and or this offseason, and we'll see how he fits in uh, with the Rays as far as, you know, can he keep that going? Is this just kind of a flash in the pan, random, you know, Marco Scudero-esque, you know, postseason run where he's just kind of random and and has a great, uh, you know, postseason and then turns around and doesn't do a whole lot after that? Or is it going to be, you know, where he is going to be a fixture in that lineup for years to come until they decide they don't want to pay Randy Rosarena and trade him away like they did Blake Snell? Um, but, I mean, I'm interested to see what a Rosarena does this year. Yeah, actually, I'm not going to lie, Craig. I really, really like that one. I didn't even think about him because, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, now all of a sudden. Well, it's second the post, nature to, to like that. He, yeah. Oh, he's, you know, major league awesome yeah. player because of what he was able to do in the postseason. But, yeah, right. technically still as a prospect. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love that. I love that, that, uh, that outside the box thinking a little bit there. I, uh, I know Matt wanted to stay away from, from his favorite team in the AL. I leaned hard when it came to my NL pick, I leaned hard into the Cubs um, and they've got a lot of guys. I'm not going to lie to you. They got some guys that are, that are coming up that are, you know, potentially kind of that, 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 you know, that upper echelon. I mean, Miguel Amaya is a, is a big ca- time catching prospect. Uh, they've got some other guys down there, but I'm looking at uh, Ed Howard. He was the 2020 first round pick of the Cubs. He's only 19 years old. He's, he's a kid. I mean, that's a decade younger than me, basically. <laughs> and he uh, down the road, you know, potentially if, if all things kind of break, right. I mean, you could pair him right there in the middle infield with Javi and, and that's a second base shortstop kind of punch that, that that I think that would rival a lot in baseball if again if everything breaks the way it can. Uh, he's I mean also big bonus. He's a local kid right there in Illinois from Linwood. Uh, so Cubs fans are going to love him. They already love him. They were super happy when the moment he got announced as the first round draft pick. And really, uh, he has all the physical tools that you look for in in a major league ball player. He's six two, two hundred fifteen pounds already at at nineteen years old. So you know he can he can bulk up if he needs to. Uh, he's he's a potential power hitter if his swing develops, and he's already kind of rated as a plus base runner. Um, so, I mean, he, you know, just, he has all the tools. He's so raw. And sometimes those are the most exciting guys, the guys that, you know, that that ceiling can be so high if he's molded the right way uh, in the AL got to talk about the biggest name when it comes to prospects. I mean, the, the, the guy that if you bring up a prospect list right now, or my God, if you look at a baseball card, it's, it's Jason Dominguez for the Yankees. This kid, I mean, I cannot imagine being 18 just turning just turned 18 years old and he's already had guys full-grown adults has are have already given him player comps player comparisons to guys like mickey mantle babe ruth and mike trout how in the hell are you going to say this 18 year old kid reminds you of those three three of the greatest human beings to ever step on a baseball diamond that yeah though i see those same tools in this 18 year old kid, I don't care what he's done. That is mind boggling to me that it's just, I mean, and it it almost, it's totally unfair to me in my opinion, because man, you know, when you, when you play or comp him to those three guys, if he has a, he could even potentially have a hall of fame career and still be considered a bust because of the comps that other people put on him that he never asked for. Like, and this is all the craziest thing is this is all before he's taken a professional at bat even one, but of course, you know, all eyes are going to be on him as, as spring training gets rolling, even if he's not out there. I mean, any, any talk around the Yankees is going to rely around, is going to kind of revolve around Jason Dominguez and, uh, and just his massive ceiling that he has uh, bestowed upon him. That the Jason Dominguez just reminds me of that scene from bench warmers. The guy came over with like the fake birth certificate and says, I am 12 with a $20 bill. Like Jason Dominguez is, is not 18. That man is 30. Like there is no way he is just built like a linebacker. He has that just he's big, he's stocky, and he just rakes from everything that I've seen. And that's a lot of pressure. And Chris, I know you didn't want to, I don't know if you didn't shy away from your favorite team. So I'm not going to either. Um, I was torn between Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo about who was going to get the call first. And honestly, I think it's going to be Hunter Green just because that man has dominant stuff when he wants to. He's already racked up 
89 Ks his last season playing. And it was insane because he throws over 100 mile an hour fastball as a starter consistently. He has that consistent, easy gas. And I think with a weaker starting rotation, he, he deserves a shot. And if he doesn't work out as a starter, well, our oldest Chapman started off as a starter, transitioned to closer with that gasoline. And, you know, maybe you don't need him to rack up six, seven innings. If you can get two solid, no run innings, you have a dominant guy right there. And you just solved your closer question. Cause that's how Amir Garrett started. He had a dominant performance against the Cardinals and then never had a dominant start after that. But he has been phenomenal out of the bullpen. He is that dog, as he says. Um, on the AL side, I'm going to have to go with my probably my favorite team in the American League, the Blue Jays, and Nate Pearson. If there's one thing I love about pitchers, again, it's easy gas. That man throws gasoline. He did play in 18 innings last season in the majors. But in 2019, he had a 5-4 and four record with a 2.3 ERA, 119 strikeouts, only wa- only averaged two and a half walks per nine, 5.6 hits per nine, and averaged almost 11 Ks per game. And it's insane. And if he comes up there and he gets rolling, the Blue Jays are going to make the postseason. And, all, and that's a huge piece of that starting rotation that the Blue Jays don't have. And I feel like he's going to pro- may even be the opening day starter out there. And, uh, Bryce, I want to kick it over to you. Saving the best for last year. What do you got, man? Yeah. Well, uh, so with me, I tried to pick two guys that I seen play that uh, that that I seen play in person that are not so much the usual guys that we talk about, like the Wander Francos of the or Francos of the world and guys like that. So with my pick of the National League, I uh, I have to go with Jalen Davis. I seen him play in AAA with the Twin System before he got traded into Sam Dyson trade back in 2019. Uh, he went to the Giants then. He's the Giants' 13th overall prospect. Uh, he's played in about 20, about 21 major league games so far. He's only got a 167 batting average, but in AAA, this kid could hit, and he's a really good fielder. He's really quick on the uh, de- on the uh, de- uh, defensive side of things. So, and if we look at the Giants' outfield, I mean, besides Yastrzemski and Dickerson, I mean. He- he could push Dubon off the roster. Maybe he could push Austin Slater, and he could definitely push Darren Ruff. Because I mean, because we knew who Darren Ruff was when he played for the Phillies, and I think and I think last year was Ruff's first uh, uh, year back in the league after being like Japan or Korea. So Jalen Davis could easily step into that mix because he, I mean, because he's on the forty man roster right, uh, right now as is. So. If he can have a good spring training, I think that he can be someone to to uh, keep an eye on. And then in my uh, AL pick, I have to go with Nick Allen. He's the number four prospect for, for for the A's. Now this guy has always been a top thirty prospect, but he was a low top thirty prospect when when he first got drafted. Uh, I seen him play with Beloit up in Fort Wayne and South Bend at a South Bend Cubs game. Uh, he's not he's not strong at the plate just yet. Doesn't have a really good batting average, but he's really good on defense. And he's he's kind of got comparisons to like Derek uh, Derek Jeter on the uh, defensive side of things. And 
Uh, I think he's projected to start out in double-A Midland this year because he was in high A two years ago when the last minor league season played. So I think that he could be somebody that could get get, uh, get on the 40-man roster before the year's over, especially if he can make it to triple-A. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we've kind of touched on all of the baseball topics and some more that we wanted to touch on tonight. I really want to thank our two guests, Bryce and Matt, for hopping on, uh, for for stepping up, taking the call and coming on here. I know they love to talk baseball, so it was super fun to get some new voices in here to do this special. This was this was just that this was special for me. I'm sure it was for everybody else. I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Craig Crash Course down there uh, for obviously the opportunity he's given us to create and expand on the MCT podcast and then throwing it into a, a special already giving us that kind of platform uh, to, to talk about, you know, my favorite sport in baseball. And, uh, and I want to thank my fellow MCT co-host Michael down there uh, for uh, just, you know, always being ready at the helm and, and excited to get this thing rolling. I, uh, I really, really think uh, the MCT is special with, with you and I in there and Tade as well. I know he didn't want to talk baseball, which is fine, but he, uh, you know, super, super special guy anyway. So, I mean, I just, I want to thank everybody for listening, for tuning in on this one. Uh, it's been so much fun. I, uh, I really hope that we can get uh, Bryce and Matt back on to talk more baseball. I had such a blast doing this tonight. Um, I know we'll do way more baseball content in the future as obviously the season is not even kicked off yet. So it's going to be a good time. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, and as you can see on my screen and Michael's screen, we've got our uh, really? Twitter ads there. So uh, I want to uh, just point that out. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Topher 92. That's spelled out on as there. Uh, Michael's got his Twitter handle there. Uh, Matt, Craig, Bryce, you want to drop your socials. Go right ahead. All right, yeah. yeah, I will. For sure. Kick off. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to type it out on here so they can That's see. That's fine. It'll be a lot easier. Perfect. All right, so yeah, there how you how go. Do, how do we do that? How do we do that? <laughs> you click uh, rename. If you hit your participants, yeah. Hit okay. participants, Matt, and right. hit click, click hey, load over your name. There we name go. Hey, there we hey. go. Look at that. Tec- technology, ladies and gentlemen, there you gotta go. love it. I'm not, uh, I'm not bad with uh, technology, but I just started using Zoom like a year ago. Whenever COVID hit, for, for I mean, my, for my uh, college classes, right? I think Zo- I, I think just about everybody on the planet is in that same boat when it comes to Zoom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Craig, go go right ahead. And of course, you can find me at uh, Crash Course FM on Twitter. So beautiful. Yep. All right. Well, that does it for us. Thanks everybody once again. This was awesome. Uh, absolutely had a blast, and we will see you next time. You can definitely catch the Cra- Crash Course podcast every week on Tuesdays, and you can find Michael and I on the MCT podcast on youtube on saturdays and we will have an episode this week uh michael and i are full go we don't take no breaks we got a special in we just we just add it on so we're ready to go we will catch you guys then